You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. You're listening to episode 370 and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Leanne Bradford is a senior software developer for Notch8, a web and mobile application development agency based in San Diego. She spent several years as a stay-at-home mom and discovered coding while studying to become a web designer. Her passion for code led her to Learn Academy Coding Bootcamp and to her current work as a Rails developer. Many of her projects leverage the Samvera open source community. She's a perpetual learner who loves to share her passion for software development with others. In her free time, she teaches web development classes and also offers free one-on-one mentoring sessions with women and underrepresented folks. Her hobbies include attempts to grow food and flowers, as well as go on hikes with her rescue dog and her kids. Welcome to the show, Leanne. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here and... Um, it's my first podcast, so. Wonderful. Well, thank you for choosing this one to start off with. Leanne, what is your developer origin story? So I really got into tech right after college. Um, when I first graduated, I had a liberal arts degree. And the job I could get was a customer service position at a phone call center, which was not very exciting or fun. Um, But the client that I got assigned to was IBM, and they were really great about giving us training sessions and teaching us about networking and operating systems. So I kind of got a taste of the tech industry back then, and I uh, continued work with other clients like Hewlett Packard and um, moved my way up into tech support and started doing technical support and eventually Um, just after a lot of study and practice, got into um, software quality assurance. And at my last company that I worked before I left the workforce, there was one female software engineer, uh, one woman, and I just admired her so much. And I was like, gosh, I wish I would have done computer science in college. I just wish I could have been a software engineer. It seems like such a great job. And um, just kind of left it at that. And for a lot of reasons, I decided to leave the workforce and stay at home with my kids. And I spent 14 years raising my kids. And um, that was a super valuable experience. And, and during that time, I built websites and was teaching myself like HTML and CSS and things. Mm-hmm. But I was ready to go back to work. And I wanted to be really thoughtful about the career I chose when I went back. And um, I still had it in my mind that, you know, you you don't have a computer science degree, you, you can't be an engineer. So um, I thought I could do web design. I thought that would be um, a good compromise for me. And during that program, we spent, I took a, a year long program doing uh, graphic and web design. And about half of it was learning HTML and CSS and JavaScript. And during that time, I thought like, I'm coding here, I can do this, like I'm learning, and I really love it, I could do it all day, I just never wanted to stop. And so I got really good at front end development. And I was picking up a lot of freelance work in WordPress, which I wasn't a fan of. Um, But the one thing uh, that kept driving me was like, okay, I can do all this stuff. But what happens when you click that button um, on your form? Like, where does it go? And what happens? And how does that stuff come back? So um, and uh, at the time, like I discovered coding boot camps were, were kind of a thing emerging. At least they were to me. I just was discovering them. And so I thought, I'm going to go to a coding boot camp. And I did my research and found Learn Academy. And the reason 
I went to learn was because they have an internship as part of the program. Um, and they taught Ruby on Rails. So, and I had read that that was a really good place to begin with your uh, to building web applications. So um, I uh, went to Learn Academy and then I got my internship with Notch 8. <laughs> so I ended up doing my four weeks uh, with Notch 8 and it was just a really good fit. I felt really comfortable there. And at the end of the four weeks, they offered me a full-time position and I've been at Notch 8 ever since then. That is such a wonderful story, and it just proves the fact it is never too late to learn how to code. Now, I'm curious, what was the dynamics like at your boot camp? Were the students similar in the situation that you were partaking, or were they totally different? I'm curious. Um, that is, there. I was definitely the oldest one in the, I mean, I was in my 40s when I went to coding boot camp and did a career change. So I was older. Uh, if we were so tight knit. Our class was just from all different backgrounds, mostly career changers or young people that were just starting out and didn't know what they wanted to do. Um, but we all just really gelled. It was just such a good group of people. Like um, we just had a lot of fun together and we got really close. And I'm still some of my close friends are from that from my boot camp class. Well, as you said, you went through boot camp in your 40s and you did it after returning from being a stay-at-home mom. So for listeners who are in the same situation that you were in, what is the one takeaway that you would like to instill? So I would say that you're only limited by the limitations you set for yourself. I just, I was the one telling myself I couldn't do something all these years. And just once I re removed myself as an obstacle, I was able to achieve like a lot more things in life, not just my career, but um, everything. So I would say just don't tell yourself you can't do something, like really monitor your inner voice and be supportive because your opportunities are endless and you really can do what you want. I love that. So let's dig into what Notch 8 specializes in. What do they do? Um, so Notch 8 mostly builds applications for clients. We're a consultancy or an agency. and um, we do web and mobile applications and almost all of them are Ruby on Rails, but not all, but the vast majority of them. And about 50% of our development business is in the Sambara community, um, which is, I think we might be getting into talking about that. Um, also we provide, um, hosting and maintenance services, um, for other clients that we actually don't do development for, but because we're a team of developers, um, we can offer that jumping in and fixing things in an emergency situation. And we have some in-house projects that we're developing and hopefully over the next um, few years, we're gonna expand that and actually launch some of our own projects. I love to see projects come out of consultancies because they build so many different applications. You see those patterns. And so you see some really interesting projects come out just because, you know, the, the consultancy is like, hey, we've come up with a really good template or gem or Rails engine in order to accomplish this. So I'm excited to see what Notch 8 puts out there. So let, let's talk about Sam Vera. What is it and how long has it been around? Um, so Sam Vera has been around at least 10 years from what I could research. Um, it is a open source. It's, it's really an ecosystem more than and a, and a community, more than just one product. But it is a group of open source software that is geared towards building digital repositories. And um, so what that means, like 
for you and I who are not researchers or librarians that would manage these kind of things, um, there's like a movement out there of open data. Um, in the past, uh, say a researcher got money from the federal government or from the government or from some kind of institution to do some research and they do um, research, they gather information, and then they publish a paper um, about their findings. And that paper would go to a publishing company and get published, and then the data gets tossed, and the publisher owns that information now. Um, but we paid for that research through these grants. So open data is really saying, hey, we own that data, and we own that information, and we want you to make it public so that anyone in the public can use that information in any way that we want because, you know, we kind of paid for that and it's beneficial to all of all of the world. So now what we're finding is that um, institutions and the government that are funding research are making that, making open data a requirement for the research. So once you're done with your um, study and you publish it, that you need to keep that data available to the public. So that's where digital repositories come in. That's one use case for them. And there's a lot of paid platforms where you can hire a, a company or buy a service that will host this for you. But what Samvera does is it creates um, a lot of different applications that allows you to build, that will allow you to build your own digital repository. Um, so, and it's open source. So that's kind of what Samvera is. It's been around for a while. I know I've been working in Samvera projects for at least five years and it, and it has gone through some changes in that five years um, and rebranding, but the community going back through all of um, all of the records are publicly available. You can read all of the meeting notes and everything going back at least 10 years. So it sounds like you need to be technical in order to implement Samvera, but I'm curious from the researcher's standpoint, you know, if they want to go and upload their research into a, a digital repository using Samvera, do you need to be technical? Um, no, you don't need to be technical at all. It's as easy as pushing a button. So you would go to your repository, um, you click a share your work button, and you would enter metadata and information about your project, upload any associated files, images, um, any kind of files that are related to your to your research, and you click save. And depending on your repository, some will have a review process. Um, some you can just self-publish. It depends on which repository you're adding to, but it's easy as that. Very cool. Well, I took a tour around the Samvera website. First of all, it is incredibly well documented, which is always, you know, as we know as a community, is a good sign of a good project. But there were a couple words that were kind of baffling to me that I would love to ask you about. So I'm curious, what is Hyrax? Um, so Hyrax is like the main uh, piece of main repository software that we mostly use. Um, it's a Rails engine. And you can use it to build your application to your for your digital repositories. And um, it is very configurable. So if you're using Hyrax, you uh, you know just like Rails, you can make your own choices on database and and things of that nature. And that's um, Hyrax is like the main probably the main product you would use as an institutional repository. Does not eight have a version of Hyrax that they tend to use? Uh, depends on our clientele. We will we basically use the most recent version of Hyrax if at all possible. So um, we also use Haiku, which is basically a generated Hyrax application. It's just 
has pre-selected uh, sensible defaults for you to choose for such as your database. And, and Haiku also is a multi-tenant. So it's really good for clients that might need more than one repository, but only want to have one application. Or in some cases we have um, maybe a consortium of institutions that are pulling their resources together because each small institution can afford to do their own uh, repository. So they'll pull the resources and um, do one application and we'll build it with Haiku and each institution has its own tenant. So it looks like they have their own separate repository, but it's really just one application. This episode of the 5x5 Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Raygun. Are you using the latest tools to monitor your Ruby app's performance? With Raygun error and performance monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to quickly find and fix errors and performance problems across your tech stack down to the line of code. Raygun gives you real-time visibility into the health of your software so you can see how your code performs in the hands of who matters most, your customers. Save time, money, and sanity by visiting raygun.com ruby and join thousands of software teams who use Raygun every day to ship better quality code faster. It takes just minutes to set up and starts from as little as $4 per month. This is a tool you definitely want to check out. So head to raygun.com ruby to get started on your free 14-day trial or simply search Raygun on the Heroku Marketplace. Thanks to Raygun for supporting the show. I am very familiar with that concept. As the listeners know, I spent five years in nonprofit arts, and so I am quite fluid in consortiums and multi-tenant applications, which is so crucial for things like that, because in our case, it was the organizations coming together and pulling their money together in order to build that multi-tenant website. So let's say I am a developer and I want to deploy Samvera and I have a server at the ready. Are there any other resources that I need other than being able to install Ruby on Rails? Um, yes, yeah, so it is has a lot of pieces to it. Um, you need Rails, Redis, Fedora, and Solar are like the main pieces. Um, but everything's been containerized with Hyrax and Haiku at least. So you can get the stack up and running with just Docker Compose up and have everything built for you. Fantastic. How often is Samvera updated and released? It has releases, I mean, Right now, we had major releases um, for Hyrax and Haiku both. So there's been more frequent releases to work out some issues. So they're coming out monthly, but there's several times a year you'll see release, uh, new releases for both Hyrax and Haiku and all of the other items in the Samvera ecosystem. They have regular releases too. Is Samvera managed on RubyGems and is all the issues and work done openly on GitHub or is that done elsewhere? It is all done on GitHub. Um, there's a samvera.github.io uh, website you can go visit to, which will have links to all of the items. Um, anything even in development, have, there's a Samvera Labs where everything is in, in development you can see going through and, and take a look at as well as the core items. Very cool. So when working on a Samvera project, does it feel like you're working on a Ruby on Rails application? I, I would say not always, but um, you're definitely in a Ruby on Rails application. I think um, it's they're based on Ruby on Rails, so um, it, so yes, but there's a lot of libraries and gems and engines packaged together. So when you're working in the in the code base, finding the actual gem 
that is housing the code that you're looking for can be very challenging. So um, if you like puzzles and if you like doing detective work, it's really fun for you. If that's not your jam, then you probably won't enjoy that. So I'm going to admit to you, Leanne, that this is actually the first time that I've ever discussed Samvera with anyone. And so I'm curious from your standpoint, why do you think the Samvera project probably doesn't get as much recognition as it probably deserves in the Ruby on Rails community? I, I'm not sure that um, we have, you know, a few hundred Rails developers in the Samvera community. And um, so it is this nice little corner of, of people. And I'm not sure why it is not getting, it's just not well known because it's in such a niche um, area with research and um, institutions, uh, research institutions. So that might be why, but it it's a really wonderful community and I'm super excited to be a part of it. And so I'm glad it's getting a voice here today. So as I ask all of my guests, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? So we're at a really interesting time right now in the Rails community. There's a lot going on. And um, in my experience, uh, Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities have been like so welcoming to me and it wasn't the case like going to meetups when I was in boot camp I went to some uh, I'm not going to name them but I went to some other popular meetups in our area and I just wasn't as welcomed as I was in the Ruby community and um, it's just been really good to me and so I'm hopeful that everything going forward is you know going to be worked out. I agree with you. And you were yet another guest that we're having on the show because of WNB.RB. So expect to see more um, amazing attendees from that meetup as well on the show. Fantastic meetup. And uh, I just really enjoyed that a lot. It was so refreshing and it just gave me so much energy and just made me just I had such a great work day after attending that meetup because I just was so energized. It was full of really great people and real positive, um, real positive environment. I agree. And we'll definitely link to that meetup in the show notes. That'll probably be a monthly thing, I imagine. So Leanne, how can listeners follow you? I'm not that active on social media. I do have a Twitter account. It's at Leah A. Bradford. Um, but if you want to reach out to me and do, uh, if you're thinking about getting into tech and you want to do a one-on-one -on -one with me, I'm at leanne at notch8.com, um, leanne with two A's. So two A's and two N's. I love that. Leanne, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. I want to thank you for two different reasons. First of all, for coming on and talking about taking that career switch and coming into uh, software development. I think that story is so important to tell. And as you said before, as well, is, you know, shedding a light on our community. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great pleasure. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast on the 5x5 network. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review and thank you for listening.